Hello there. In this week's episode, we talk about infant loss. I wanted to make sure that I put a trigger warning out before you listen to today's episode. This episode talks a lot about infant as well as maternal loss, especially in the black community. This is such an important topic. I hope that those that can listen to the episode will. And I hope that this episode can save, can provide information to at least one woman so that we can have one less maternal and infant loss. I just want to thank you all for listening to the episodes, for sharing, and just being a part of this incredible community. I was 37 when I had Xander. He grew me in ways in those four hours of life than I had grew in 37 years. And, and only that experience would have done that. And so a lot of people ask me, would you do it over again, knowing the results and the outcome? Absolutely. Just for those four hours and 16 minutes. Hello, darling. You're listening to the Wake Up and Show Up podcast with your host, Portia Scott. This podcast is a collection of interviews and stories, weaving together life's pivotal moments and the decisions made to show up and impact humanity, one person at a time. The Wake Up and Show Up podcast has curated a weekly podcast episode recap. You heard it right. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Facebook Live and on YouTube. This week, our guests will be on the show. We'll be answering your questions about the episode. We'll take a deeper dive into some of these stories. And if you have questions, whether about the show, about this episode, about whatever, we're taking your questions online. You can make sure they're anonymous if you want, but we want to make sure that you ask your questions. You can text us at 404-737-0867. That's 404-737-0867 with your questions. Also, you can just click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you right there and you can ask your questions. I look forward to seeing you every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Facebook at I am Portia Scott or YouTube at Portia Scott Media. See you inside. Hello, darlings, and welcome to episode 47. This is the second episode in season two, and I'm super excited about it. I hope you are enjoying season two. One of the things that I learned after recording season six and the interviews and stories that we've heard is that so often we create organizations, programs, or the reason why we do something is out of our own personal stories. Sometimes those stories include pain and loss, but it is in those experiences that we draw from to help impact someone else so they don't have to go through what we've gone through. Our house guest today is the creator and founder of Zeal of Xander. After losing her son, Xander Monroe, she decided that her pain must be purposeful. It is her desire to create a climate within the black community to assist with openly grieving the loss of their children, close the access to care gap within the community, and incite policy change that affects infant mortality. 
Her vision is that her work with bereaved families will help to create a purpose for their pain, meaning for their journey, and healing after the loss of their babies. Help me welcome today's house guest, Xaviera Bell. And thank you for sharing your story. I think, um, you know, one of the things, especially in our communities, is that, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about that, is just maternal health and, you know, the mortality rate for Black women. And it doesn't even matter. You can have private insurance, you can have all the insurances, and we still die at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. And then even the the babies and yeah. how they take... It's just a it's a lot. And I think that it's important because there's a lot of women that kind of suffer in silence. One of the things yeah. I think I have on here that you read was just that like you had a community of resources that like you could get to to help you through, but so many women don't have that, you know? Yeah. And so just hearing your story for somebody, maybe like I can come out of hiding. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can contact her. Maybe, you know what I mean? It's just sometimes we just need that one person that we don't feel alone, that we don't feel like this was our fault, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. so thank you for sharing this because yeah. I can, I can't even imagine. Um, but even just hearing you talk about it. And when I was reading, cause I actually didn't see the video. I read the transcript of the video and I was just like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my goodness, she is like a, I, you are just really strong. I was just like, oh my goodness, like this is the, to be able to take that pain and to do something with it. And I think sometimes we think, oh, well, it's easy, but it's not. No, it's not. It's definitely not an easy task. You know, um, it took a lot of practice. I'll tell you, it, it took a lot of practice and I had to come to, um, the realization that I could not be emotional and effective simultaneously. Mm. And so I think that sometimes, you know, that get that your message get kind of gets kind of lost um, when it comes to the emotion behind it. Because um, mm-hmm. Xander's story speaks for itself. Um, I have in the the beautiful thing that you said about resources is that I grew up in, uh, I'm an Alabamian. My family is big. I've had the same best friend since I was 10 years old <laughs> um, who has lost children. Um, my mother before me lost five children. Um, and even when I think back in regards to that, um, like I said, I'm 30, I'm 39. I'll be 40 in January. And I think back to the 70s and 80s and know that women were having complications in birth even during that time and and when I hear my mom's story my mother um when I was growing up I I remember my mother was a my mother is an advocate for going to the the doctor making sure you keep your health up and so she had a chiropractor and um, he reminded me of Matlock in his older age. Like this, like this is who Dr. Fob, his name was Dr. Fob. Dr. Fob was, he allowed for me to come in his office, which was in, Dr. Fob was a white older man that was in a black community. In Alabama, our community was very segregated, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the section that we lived in was in the far back. Whites lived in the front of the town. 
in mm -hmm. our community, there was probably one white woman and she was married to a black man, period, hands down. And Dr. Fobb took on the responsibility of being the chiropractor to the black community. community. And um, I, she told me, and he and I heard used to tell me the story that she came in and he said, have you lost children before? And she says, yes, I did. I lost five. And he said, I can, I can see why. And she was like, how can you see why when nobody else, you know, nobody else does. And he says, you have a shift and a gap in your pelvis. Your pelvis bone is sitting like this. One is in front of the other. And he said, when your babies get a certain weight, your body can't handle it and, it and your body goes into labor and she was like absolutely this is what's happening so she said that he laid her down on the table took a sheet right just a bed sheet put it around one leg threw it around his neck and snapped her pelvis back together and gave her some calcium and said come back in six weeks pregnant she came back in six weeks she was pregnant with me and had no complications and so when you listen to a story like that and you look at something like that all of the money and the education and the experience in the world could not give her, she lost five children. And the price to be paid to fix that was a bed sheet. That's Period. right. Was a bed sheet. And so we're in a, in a place now where I have an equation. The equation says 2X plus 3X equals one um one in four and i said that this is an equal the equation of heartbreak and which means that you know black women are two times more likely to lose children three times more likely likely to lose their lives and we're one in four women that will one in four women lose their children and so you know we have to get is that black women one in four black women lose one their four children women total lose total their okay one in four women total lose their children. But if you think statistically, if you think statistically, if black women are two times more likely, then that means that two out of four women that lose their children are black. Yep. Depending on where you now, if you go in Raleigh, where I live, Raleigh, North Carolina, black women are six times more likely to lose their children. So statistics vary from place to place. My son was one of 806 babies to die in 2018 in North Carolina. Black people only make up 33%. Over 350 babies were black. That does not include, that's just 350 babies, about 353 were black. And then there is the rest of the population, which will include right. Asian, white, native, you know, Hispanic. And contrary to popular belief, Hispanic women are not losing babies like black women are. They don't even come close to us. They are closer to having successful um, pregnancies and deliveries. The next um, risk group are Native American women. Are native. Wow. Wow. It's just astronomical to think that that those statistics are happening in 2020, even 2018. Yep. So you mean to tell me we can have self-driving cars? Yep. That we can have biometrics. I go to the I go to the airport right now. I don't even touch anything. I let them scan my eyes, mm -hmm. and we cannot keep babies alive. We cannot keep mm -hmm. mothers healthy. Mm -mm. 
what is like, what is, what is the reason? Like, why is it that we have all of this technology, but we have no technology to keep specifically black mothers and black infants safe? Um, because the technology was not designed for black people. So, I mean, and that's just, it's true. um, that's just the, the, the most hardest truth here recently. So, um, I have, when I started the nonprofit organization, I started Xander's non nonprofit organization 90 days after his uh, birth and death because I needed something to keep me alive. That that was just it. I knew that, um, and, and I'm a church kid, right? So just growing up in the Bible Belt, growing up in Alabama, uh, growing up uh, missionary Baptist and, you know, Methodist part of my life. And uh, <laughs> so just growing up in that household um very religious right mm -hmm. and so as i grew into an adult um i started to release religion and build relationship which is completely and totally different mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so when i was sitting in the middle i remember sitting in the middle of my hospital bed after i had had xander and i was weeping and my uh, mother and my father had went to um my hotel and my best friend was there and um she was sleeping and i just remember weeping and i told god i said you have to do something because i'm not gonna hurt this bad for no reason so you gotta so i know you you gotta figure it out but you gotta mm -hmm. help me figure it out so right. you have to show me the purpose behind the pain so what is it that i'm supposed to do mm -hmm. and um i started to just think about all the things that happened during the process right and so the process was hey do you remember when you went and they changed your due date so when they changed my due date by 10 days that threw xander at 21 weeks and six days okay which means that we were tasked just to watch Xander die. So so they put him 10 days ahead or 10 days behind. Mm -hmm. So with him being 10 days behind, they did not intervene. There was no medical intervention and they were like, he's not 23 weeks. And I was like, yeah, but you changed his due date by 10 days. If you had left it alone, he would be. Mm. so and what was the reason what was the reason for changing his due date um so what the doctor said was initially i'm we we lived in florida so um i went to the doctor in florida and they said okay based on your last cycle this is the first day of your last cycle so this is what we're putting your due date as um Xander's parents are I'm five five his dad's like five six five seven so we're we're shorter people um to them they said uh he's measuring a little small um so we're just gonna change it by 10 days and what I did not know was that those 10 days meant my son's life um and I remember when I had him the nurse that um that delivered Xander she said, he's larger than I thought he would be. Do you want to call the NICU? It's what she asked the doctor, who was a white doctor. She was a black nurse. And the uh, doctor said, no. So, you know, our task was to definitely 
watch him I, you know, initially, I was like, my task is to watch him die. And my best friend was like, no, our task is to love him into heaven. So that's what we're going to do. And so I was like, okay. So just having that experience, I know the importance of having somebody to um, to be there with you to shift um, your assignment, right? Because, you know, for me, my assignment was just to watch my son die um, and not to love him until his release um and i think that it's important like we have to do better by each other as black women um as a community as christians um as believers that we have to i think the worst thing that somebody told me was that i think god needed another flower in his garden or something i was like girl i do not care about god in his garden like that like the space that i was in i said i don't care about the garden i don't care that you said that you know he has plans or i don't care that you said that you can have another baby xander is not an interchangeable part um and so from all of those experiences you know we formed a lot of different things that you know we discuss with people um we have to be careful about how we handle people um specifically in the face of loss yeah say i i want to ask that too because i think sometime one we don't know what to say Mm -hmm. um and so we have these cliches that we've said you know i've i've never heard the garden one but i've definitely heard where people are like god needed another angel and 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 I don't know if it's something that said, obviously people don't want to hurt, you know, but not knowing what to say. So mm-hmm. what what would you tell someone? And maybe it's saying nothing. Maybe it's being there. But if someone is walking alongside, you know, a loved one that has faced um, a loss of a child, what is one of the things that they can do? What is one of the things that, you know, that you had that you can you know, tell someone else, this is how you help them in this time? You know, um, I remember somebody asking me something um, like a year or so after, like, I, I don't, I can't even remember, maybe they asked me to borrow money or something. And so I, the only thing that I could think was, I, this is the first time I've heard from you. Even when my son passed, I didn't hear from you. And now you need something from me, right? And so her um, response was, I didn't, I did not, he, she said, I thought about that and I didn't know what to say. And I told her the only thing that I noticed was that you said nothing. So saying nothing is definitely not the, the, the right way to go. But what I always advise people is just to be so completely and totally honest. And, and the honesty behind it is that I don't know what I can say to help you. But what I do know is that whatever it is that I can do for you in this space, let me know. And I want, and, and I, and I can do that. And I think that the aftermath of it is people really think that it's a, a little bit, you know, it's easy, like, oh, you know, you're going to get pregnant again and you're going to have another baby. But what people don't realize is that when you lose, when you suffer a loss, you are two times more likely to um, have a mental health diagnosis afterwards when you get pregnant. So, you know, for me, it was depression. Um, I had built a mobile crisis team in Tampa, so I knew what being wrapped in services looked like. I knew that there was no way that I was going to be okay. Um, without so that mobile, that mobile, uh, services team that you built, was that prior to Xander or was that after? 
that was prior to Xander. So in that was about 2015. Um, so 2015, um, I built a mobile crisis team that would go out and we would service my staff would service individuals that had you know diagnosis. They if they were homicidal, suicidal, that is you know what what we did. And what I knew was the importance of having people around me. What I knew was the importance of ensuring that I was wrapped in services. Um, but even that, I had to really do a lot of soul searching because when I went home, they equipped you to end your life when you go home. Um, I remember going home. Um, I, I was moved to Raleigh. My parents, my closest relative was 11 hours away. And um, I got home and I was sitting there after everyone had left. Xander's dad um, went back to Florida <clears throat> for work. And I was sitting there with a bottle of ibuprofen 800, Tylenol PM. Um, I had metformin and I had, it, it was some other uh, Zoloft. I had all those medications and I had a perfect cocktail and I was thinking to myself, okay, so if I take, if I combine this, 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 and this, then I will just sleep away. The housekeeper is going to come in on Wednesday and then they'll, they'll, they'll call my mom. So I'm just, you know, I'm going through what, what could happen. And, um, then I thought to myself, they're going to have to call your mother. And then your mother's going to have to tell your dad. And then they're going to have to tell your sister. And then they're going to have to tell Gina, who was my best friend. And they just buried a grandson. You cannot make them bury a daughter. You cannot do that. Um, my parents transported my son back to Alabama and buried him for me. So, and just even listening to my mom, um, I, my best friend was like, your mother will not get out of the car because they had his little coffin in the back seat of the car with my best friend. So when you say transport, like literally there wasn't a service that did it. So from the hospital, they took Xander from Florida to Alabama. Well, we were, so I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina and Xander was born at UNC. Um, so now this is the thing. This is one of the major regions, reasons too, that we started Zillow Xander. So, um, the hospital will not release your children to you without going through a funeral home. So what that looks like for people that cannot afford $400, like I'm just using that as an example here in Raleigh, um, $400 is not easy for some people to get. I was just fortunate enough to be a person that, you know, had sustainable income that could afford $400 several times over, you know, for, for my son. What that looks like for somebody that does not have it is that you walk out of the hospital without your children. That's it. So one of the options that they gave me was if you can't afford to have a funeral home to come and pick Xander up, we can cremate him. And I was like, mm, what do you mean? And they were like, well, we can cremate him, but we can't give you his remains. And I was like, that's not an option for me. So let me just call and, and find someone. So I found the, the closest um closest funeral home which really did a um they prepared Xander nicely and um it was a lot of things that I wish I had known prior to that that I just had to learn through experience but at the end of the day women are in America in a well-developed country women are walking out of the hospitals leaving their children um 
they are not releasing them to their kids, their kids to them. And what is happening is that they are doing a mass cremation. So all of the bodies that's left at the hospital, they put them together and they cremate them. So the reason that they cannot provide you with your children is because they don't know who they're giving you. That That's just what that is. Zay. So, and that's what's happening now. So, okay. So you have a grieving mother, you have grieving families and yep. they, for you, you were able to take on that cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you would have said, no, I can't take on, you know, that cost, then they would have cremated um, Xander and whatever other babies that were there. Or grownups. So it's just everybody. So like when you have like a John Doe or. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think the most heartbreak and, and to I didn't know that that happened and um i was i'm i'm in this support group um with like 10,000 other moms and um this this girl posted today she uh, posted um like a few days after i had um Xander's service at the at the funeral home and then my parents took him to Alabama um she said i had to walk out and leave my son today and i remember when they, I wanted to see Xander once more before I left the hospital. And, um, I remember picking him up and I wept and I, and I remember just saying to him, this is as far as I can take you. This is, this is as far as mommy can take you. Um, but I will see you later. And I just kept telling the the nurse, like, please take care of my son. And she was like, we will make sure that everything is okay. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if your children are alive or dead. They're still your kids. Children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you want them to be okay. Can you imagine walking out of a Walmart and leaving your children and never coming back? That is what they tasked that lady to do. They tasked her to walk out. You, there's no place that you can go and mourn. There's no site. Like I have the, I have the luxury of going to Xander's grave and, you know, it, mm-hmm. and seeing the bumblebees and, you know, my mom putting every single holiday, Labor Day is coming up. Xander's going to have a flag out. So like, is he in um, Alabama? He, my son is in Alabama, a half mile from my mom's house. Okay. So you had the, you had the funeral home cause you guys were able to take care of that. And then you, did you have the service in Raleigh or. So we had a, uh, we had a um, intimate service with just me, my mom, Xander's dad, my best friend, my, my dad. And so they um, gave my parents a travel permit. So in case they got stopped on the way, they applied for a travel permit. Cause I asked them, I don't want my son buried in Raleigh. This is not my home. Um, and so they were like, well, we can give you a travel permit. So they did that. And my parents drove um, my son home. And I was just thinking, even you know, in conversations with my best friend, my mother did not get out for 11 hours. She, my dad was like, are you going to come, come into the store? She was like, I'm not, I'm not leaving a baby in the car by himself. Like, you know, just having that sense of of that my son was in my mother's house for a day um 
until my you know my dad could you know get everything set up so that they could you know do the plot and all of those that stuff they had an intimate service you know there i couldn't travel because i had just had had a child um so it's a lot of things that come into play that we don't even consider um i didn't consider that they don't embalm babies like i didn't know that i remember going home and my lips being purple um, I had purple lipstick on, but my lips were so purple and they were numb. And I was like, why is, why are my lips so numb? And I remember the funeral home telling me we can't embalm Xander. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to soak him in embalming fluid and he may look different. So the Xander that I saw at the hospital, he was still cute, but he looked a, a few shades lighter because of the topical that they had to do. So it's just so many things that go into play that we should not have to deal with in a time like this, this 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Zay, you've told us a lot about what happened. Um, but that day, like, do you just go into a routine appointment and this is when everything kind of happened? Was it over time? Like, tell us just about leading up to to that moment of, you know, you go into this, I'm assuming it was a routine appointment. Mm -hmm. So on the 24th of April, I had an anatomy scan. So I went into the anatomy scan and um, they, you know, Xander was, Xander loved to hug my placenta. For, mm -hmm. uh, he, that was his thing. He just liked to hold it like a pillow. And um, so <laughs> I remember the, um, the guy that was doing the ultrasound, he was like, we cannot see his face, but we can see his boy parts. And I was like, listen. This so is, is that the first time you found out or you no, already knew? I found out at 11 weeks. Okay. Uh, what Xander was, cause I was in, uh, I had to go to to the hospital, but because we were, um, we're ended. Mm -hmm. And so um, the lady was like, do you want to see what it is? Do you want to know the sex? And I was like, I looked over, I said, it's a boy. Oh, Cause I had planned for a girl, like, oh. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, so he was just looking and he was like, heartbeat is wonderful, 160 beats a minute. I was like, perfect. And he said, oh, I am trying to locate your cervix and I cannot. Now, a few days before then I had some cramping, some spotting, contacted my doctor, told them, hey, I'm having some cramping and some spotting. They said, well, you know what? It could just be that you're constipated. They didn't say, you know what? You just really need to go to the ER. You know, I, tr I trusted what was going on. You know, that Tuesday, um, the week before, I told them the same thing. I said, I kind of feel like my son is in my cervix. And they were, she was like, he's too small for that. And she was like, well, we te tested, um, tested your fluids and it's no infection. So, I mean, your cervix is closed from the outside but they did not check to see if my cervix was funneling or not. So if they had seen that, then they would have said, you know what, your cervix is funneling. We're going to go ahead and do a cerclage. When by the time that whole week process, I was one centimeter dilated. They sent me to UNC. Uh, they didn't make it sound like it was like an emergency. They were like, Hey, go home, grab some clothes. Go to UNC. Mm -hmm. If you want to, we can do a surclage. If not, we can just do the uh, progesterone suppositories. So I, and, and I asked this because actually I, I have a cousin who um, 
had the cerclage and all of that and she bed rest and things like that. So I just want to make sure I understand because you go in to do the scan, but prior to that, you had spotting and things mm-hmm. like that and they tested it, but they said that there wasn't anything like your cervix was closed, right. but it wasn't until now we had this anatomy scan yeah. that they were able to see that the cervix, as you said, was funneling. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, so the funnel looks like your cervix starts like this, but then it starts slowly disappearing. Um, And that's what was happening. It was slowly disappearing. By the time I made it to the hospital, um, which I drove myself, by the time I made it there, I was two centimeters dilated and they could not do the cerclage because the sack of water had um, protruded into the vaginal canal. So they could not do it. And I remember um, after the exam at the hospital, the um, the doctor, attending physician said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, his heartbeat is still 160 beats a minute. She was like, you're going to have to have him and he's not going to survive. He may not. He may not even survive the actual birth because the birth may be too traumatic for his small body. So I told them, hey, so this is what's going to happen. Xander and I are going to be residents here until my water breaks. If it breaks, then we just have to go with what we know. If not, then we won't. Um, And so I um, felt a pop later that night. And then I knew, like, okay, so we're going to have to do this. And my parents arrived. And so shortly after my parents arrived, they induced me. but and not- Xander's Xander's father was in Florida. Was in Florida. Xander's father did not. He was so. If ever there was somebody that had faith, it was him. Um, because he was like, he's gonna be fine. He's like, he's going to be okay. Um, he is going to. Um, this is just gonna be a part of his story. He is going to be fine he is not gonna have any um residue of any um early birth so he's go he's just an advocate and i was like you're you're gonna have to come and he was like xander's gonna be fine and i had to call him and say xander is not fine dad and i think that that was the most painful thing for me to do um because you know he had just lost his mother in february the year before and so he he didn't have time to recover like it was just one blow <clears throat> after the next and um when we met in 2010 we started dating in 20 um September no uh, August 11 2010 and then immediately we knew what our son's name was going to be our son's name was going was going to be Xander Monroe which means protective man from the high place and so um However, we did not know that that's what um, his life's journey would be. So, you know, we, the, the thing that I learned in that is, you know, when they told me that, you know, this is what's going to happen, <clears throat> um, I still had to make sure that I advocated for myself. And so every single person that was going to touch my son and could not save them, I need an explanation as to why. Why, cannot, why can't you save him? So all of them, all of the doctors were just lined up in my, in my room and I was going down the line. So you're from the NICU. Why can't you do it? Okay. You are this. Why can't you do it? Why can't you do it? Okay. I need for, because at, at, at this point, you're going to have to stand 
in your truth and what you said. What you said was that you can't save my son and this is why. And so I want you to hear what you're saying so that you can be accountable and responsible for it later. Because there will be a later and your later looks like me now. Wow. And, and so was your, was your OBGYN was, I didn't even see her anymore. Like never, never. like you've, you haven't seen her again. No, never saw her ever again. And this is the woman that you were seeing for. Like we, um, so when I moved here, I'm sorry, there is somebody doing something outside. If you hear that it's noise, okay. <laughs> they are doing something. Um, but I was in, so I feel I fell in a crazy spot because I had just was um, took a position. Um, so they sent me to Rhode Island for eight weeks, and so I didn't know where I was going to be living. So no one wanted to see me in Rhode Island. You're not going to be our patient. So when I got here, I found an OB, and so they were like, "Hey, okay, just come in. We're going to let you see every person here because we don't know who's going to deliver." Um, or who's going to be on call. So the person that I saw um, while I was there, I think we saw a couple of times, never saw her again, two years. I mean, they the hospital didn't even call when everything was going on because it sounds like that's what the procedure would be is that you have a mother that you have seen, whether or not you've she's been in your practice the whole time, yeah. but this is your patient and you didn't call or if you called, they didn't respond to such an emergency. Yeah. I think that's the part that concerns me about um, just black mothers. Is yeah. that, and we can't say, right, but if this was a white mother, would you have been more responsive to even coming? Yeah. Even if she knew, I think the fact is you go to the hospital and you have this team of doctors that you don't know, it would have been nice to have your OB. It would have been nice yeah. to have somebody to say, we can't, and this is why, but somebody that you trusted. So you didn't yeah. even have a trusted medical professional. Mm -mm. No, you didn't. And I think that what we have the responsibility of us as black women is too much um and it's so much so that it becomes so natural for us to just fix everything in everybody's life right and so during the whole the whole time just thinking back and forth of what could have happened. Um, and they told me, oh, you know, you have an incompetent cervix. You would not have known that you had that um, unless you had lost the child. And my thing is, why does it have to be that this is what it is? Um, and also, why does it have to be that Black women are um losing children way more often because some white women go in and just be like okay we, we'll do this for you know a precautionary measure we'll watch we'll monitor we'll do this um our birth stories are not the same no matter if you have a success pregnancy is not easy it's not easy not only you know when we're thinking about you know having kids and women having, you know, still experiencing stillbirth and preterm labors. And there are a lot of women out here that are still feeling the effects of birth. They have a diagnosis of renal failure. 
they have heart pro, uh, heart conditions now all type of things they have because of the care that we had in birth it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that we frequent mcdonald's more than we frequent whole foods it has everything to do with access to care it has everything to do with the fact that the medical um world has this preconceived notion and have has been taught that black women don't feel pain like white women do they are educated that way mm -hmm. you know i remember when i was um i remember when i was pregnant with my daughter and she is 13 now so 13 years ago um and I couldn't remember who it was, but like, I literally didn't even know. And, and, and I say this because I think sometimes we have this premonition that, oh, well, you, it, you know, you were on a subsidized healthcare plan. Mm -hmm. I have very good insurance. Yep. Very yeah. good insurance. Um, I, I mean, at one point we were self-pay. So, so I say that because it does not matter. But I didn't even know that I could have like the opportunity to have like a doula yeah. or the opportunity to have a different type of birth. I mm -hmm. did not know this. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think that it's important that yes, we do the research, but you don't know what you don't know. No, My mother don't. never had a doula. So how would I know that that's even a thing? How would I even know that the the midwife was an option. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. And granted, you know, I have my son after that because he's they are six years apart. Um, and I know this, but that's just that's just because of research and having friends that have had kids in different ways and use different things. And so I so when you say that that our birth experiences are different, did I have a I mean my pregnancy was very easy. I had a great birth. My OBGYN was amazing. So I probably would have picked him anyway, both of them um anyway because they were very uh detailed and things like that. But there are some things that I'm like, I wonder why this didn't this yeah. never why this never came up or even after I had my my uh children and thinking about nursing. Mhm. Mm and that's a whole nother thing um, mm -hmm. about that. So, so what are the, you know, so you create this foundation, but I kind of want to go back because um, Xander passes away in April. Yeah. And it then you have this moment uh, that you say that there was a moment during that time that I was convinced that I wasn't going to make it. Mm -hmm. And you kind of talked about the peels. And you also say the only way that I did was make a list of things that I could have changed. Right. What was on that list, Zay? Because I, I, it feels when I when I read that, it felt like you were kind of taking responsibility for what didn't I do right? And maybe I just want to know what was that list like? So the list for me was more of during the whole process what can I change for other people, right? Mm -hmm. um, immediately, I would have advocated to make sure that they did not change his due date on paper. Um, because at the end of the day, that made a humongous um, difference in his care. Um, you know, even today, I still have a hospital bill for Xander that I will not pay. Not because I can't, but because I just cannot bring myself to do it. 
Um, and I tell them this, hey, listen, just letting you guys know I'm not ready. And it's been two years. I'm not ready to pay it. Um, because I just don't feel like you did anything. You didn't intervene. You didn't do anything at all. Um, so that was one of the things definitely would have just advocated, you know, to keep the date. Um, the other thing that I would have changed for other mothers is the advocacy part, educating them that you need to understand that one of the things that you said that was so important I felt like, oh, you are a person that's a nearly six-figure earner. You are a person that has phenomenal insurance. You work in corporate America. When I go off to trainings, my company will send my breast milk, fly it back home to my child. Like this is the type of company that I work for that I will have outside of um, sick leave. They will pay for 12 to 16 weeks without me touching my, my lead time, right? Um, that's the company that I work for. But also, so Black women with a higher education, um, gainful employment, they have worse birth outcomes than white women with GEDs or 10th grade education. So, you know, it does not matter um, how educated we are or, you know, how we are, um, how much money we make, or... how we're earning money. We, we don't even have, and unfortunately we don't even have the opportunity to spend it because most of us aren't even coming out of the hospital alive. If you live in New York, you are, um, about four times more likely to die if you're black and you have a baby there four times in New York, four times. So, you know, there is a definitely a major issue. So I would have definitely advocated more, um, for myself, making making women understand that you hire your doctor, you fire your doctor, period. They are paid for a service. Um, I also wish that I had, like you said, a doula. I didn't think about having a doula. I didn't think about a doula. I didn't think about a midwife. Um, right now, some of the things that I do for my small community, I am a um a volunteer doula for Durham um here and so some of the things that i do is hey let's have a conversation let's have a one let's have a preconception conversation two let's get your birth plan together and let's give them a snapshot as to what you want to be done if you go and you have a preconception um conversation with your doctor and you ask them can i have this 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 and this they say no it's a no for you you find somebody else that'll say yes wow so we have to be empowered in our birth experience. Um, and, and we're not because we're not taught that. And, you know, and, and I also blame some of it, too, on the community upbringing that we have, because sometimes we're labeled as you're doing white folks stuff. Listen, what they are doing is working for them because their white privilege. <laughs> this is what when I speak, um, I, I, I spoke to a group of women, a group of individuals here um with uh in regards to some policy um and i said what pride privilege looks like for white women is that you your biggest concern is who's going to install the car seat in the back of the car when you leave the hospital for us we're just trying to determine if both of us are going to make it 
That's what that's what we're facing. Are we going to make it? Is one of us going to make it out? Um, and even with the conversations that Dan and I have now, because it's been um, two years since um, Xander's birth and death. And so, you know, we want to certainly have he listen dad really wants to have more children so bad and i was like damn <laughs> for me it's a no <laughs> um uh but i i'm definitely open for it but the conversation that i, I will be having tomorrow i'm hiring aob tomorrow i'm having a conversation the conversation the questions that i will ask her is how many black women have you lost so because you you said that, I just want to ask this question: Is is this the first OB you're going to see since Xander's uh, birth and death? Or so this the initially after Xander's um, birth and death, I went to a high risk, and so you know we went to the high risk to kind of talk about what next steps will be. So they you know their thing was if you decide to get pregnant again, what we will do is a surclage at 12 weeks, we will do a um, progesterone shots from 16 weeks on until 36 weeks. What the medical industry doesn't tell you is that black women have better birth outcomes if you take your, if they induce you at about 37 weeks, um, specifically because our uteruses are thin and fragile around that time. So yeah, you will find a lot of women that um, have, they'll go in and, and they're okay. And then after the, they allow for women that are black to be pregnant for 42 weeks and, and so forth. And then the next thing you know, your baby's born still. Um, so there are, so they had a, they had a plan. And so I also recognize that I would prefer to have a black OB. And so I so when I called and I asked, how many black, I know if, if I stay with this practice, how many black OBs um, are they, are there in your practice? And they were like, oh, not many. This is not the practice for me. No, because not, I don't want to battle high-risk pregnancy and implicit bias at the same time, right? I don't want to battle preterm labor and institutional and systemic racism at the same time, right? So I, I, what I decided to do was just remove some things from the equation. And the easiest thing that I could remove was a white doctor. Right, right. Because the other things you can't really remove, but those you can. And so um, Zay, you know, there was a part um, where you kind of talked about you're leaving the hospital and you have this box. And I want to talk about the box because this is kind of the starting point yeah. of everything that you're doing. So talk a little bit about that because it'll lead us into the starting point of when you first started those boxes. So my, um, once I had Xander, they asked me, do you want to stay in the hospital or do you want to be released? Do you want to go? You can leave today if you want. And my mother, who is a very Southern mom, she was like, oh, she said, you had a baby today. You're not going anywhere. Period. So she's going to stay and she can be released tomorrow. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, my mama said I got to stay. 
my mama said I got to stay. Which home. is funny they would ask that, they you did. know, because like now you're staying in the ho- hospital two days. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when my mother had my sisters, it was like three or four days. Yeah. Now you're almost in 24 hours, 36 yeah. hours, maybe. And a lot of that was yes for the baby, but for the mother, you've yeah. literally just had this yeah. massive thing happen. Like it's not, yeah. it is natural. You know, God mm-hmm. has created it that way, but you know, hormones are changing. Now yeah. the internal organs are shifting back. Like, yeah. and they asked you if you wanted to go home that day. Yeah. They asked me if I wanted to go home. And so I wound up staying there. And, um, on, I remember getting up, taking a shower, saying my goodbyes to Xander, packing up my stuff. And my best friend was like, yeah, we're going to get a ride down because the UNC is a, a larger hospital. And they, she was like, we're just going to, you know, take a ride. We're, we're not going to walk it. So she has, I don't, I wish I still had it. I thought I had it in my office closet, but. It was this humongous pastry box. Like if you would go to Walmart and get a sheet cake, that's what it was. And it had a sticker plopped on the top of it. And so um, we, she's walking out and I'm trying to figure out where did I park my car? And so I asked the parking attendant, hey, do you guys tow? And she was like, no, not unless you have like some tickets or something. And I was like, oh, I don't have any tickets. And she was like, she looked at my best friend who had the box. And she said, like, oh, can I have some of your cake? And I was like, what are you talking about? And the listen, the fear of the Lord came down upon my friend. And she just looked at me and she said, best friend, please. And I was like, what is she? Because I was so oblivious to it. I'm like, what is she talking about? So then I looked back and I said, mm. I was like, okay. I said, this is not cake. I said, what this is, is, I said, what this is, is me coming into the hospital with a baby and me leaving out with a box. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, it's okay. And so I started just clicking, walking around, just clicking um, my keyless entry until I found my car. And um, we get in the car and I'm driving away. And then I have to explain to the um, person that I'm going out, I'm passing them the ticket. And they're like, um, I'm sorry, it's going to be like 20 something dollars. You must have been here for a long time. I said, yeah, I was here having my son. Oh, where is he? I said, he passed away. And then it's just like, you know, those conversations that you have to consistently have with people. And so one of the things that I wanted to do and, and, and the outcome looked different because when I initially started this journey, I wanted to help everybody. I wanted all women, the one in four, everybody I wanted to assist. But then as time progressed, I want to, hi, children. (laughs) It's okay. As time progressed, um, I just, I I wanted to target black women um, because we don't have enough support. Um, And so I wanted to really work with um, UNC a lot. Um, I started to design the boxes and um, working with them. I think the last email that I sent them was in June um, with a redesign because they wanted their logo to be large. Oh, you were working with UNC? Working with UNC. So um, how did that happen? Um, just did you call them up and say, listen, I had this box. It's absolutely terrible. Like, I think they saw me on the news. <laughs> oh, because you did it. You did the news segment before, yeah. like when you started thinking about the box. Yeah, I think they saw me on the news too. And um, and I wanted to also reach out to them. Um, 
because the experience of losing my son was terrible, but there were some beautiful things about it um, when it comes to the ser- the service um, that I had. So, you know, they, it was this one nurse that she followed me. Like she found me after I had um, Xander. And I remember walking, I was sitting down on the bed and I was just looking out of the window while my best friend was, you know, getting some things together. And she walked in and she said, I heard that you had a baby today. And I was like, yes, I did. She said, he's beautiful. And so she just, she was like, can I pray with you? Just you like those things. Like she followed me. She gave me a hug. We cried together. Like all of those things. Um, and so what, what Dan and I did um, was we prepared a meal for labor and delivery and we went there and we fed them and they were like nobody has ever done this and i've been here for 20 years and so just being able to communicate with them telling them hey these are some things that i want to change one of the things i want to change is get rid of that pastry box i hate it i don't think that anybody else in this life should have to walk out with that is it going to work out probably not right now um because we are definitely in collaboration as to how the box looks. Um, and so sometimes when you work for the state, what they would like is their logo to be very large and your logo to be very small. And to some that may be very petty, um, to me, it makes a big statement. Um, even when it comes to the placement of the the email address and the um the website like hey can it not be so large can you put it on like somewhere else and i'm thinking listen i'm paying nearly 700 dollars for these boxes however i make them you should take it <laughs> but right, right. Um, didn't work that way um and maybe we'll come back around from that you know i did reach out to them in june i haven't heard back from them but um i think that everything is in beautiful timing and so Right now, um, our focus is on, we're doing an anthology. Um, So we have about 40 plus women. So 20 of those women have lost children and they are all black. The other 20 plus are all experts, like lactation specialists, uh, consultants. When I was released out of the hospital, they didn't tell me I was going to have milk. They didn't tell me that. So when I get home, I'm like, what is this? why like and you're still engorged like your body's going to go through because your body doesn't yes. know what it has happened know. externally it's just going to do what the body's does wow. what it's designed to do and no one told me they just said oh yeah don't stimulate your breast it'll dry up let me tell you something one breast had milk in it for a year and it was a constant reminder that i have a child that i don't have that you didn't bring home like it was a constant reminder. So, um, so we have black therapists. I didn't have a black therapist, but my therapist was, she reminded me so much of, um, Blanche Devereaux. She was so Southern. Um, and she was so unapologetically Southern, um, and very vocal about white privilege and very, you know, upfront about, about it and she really helped me through uh, a difficult time so we but you know we have black doulas black midwives black therapists um city match which is um out of omaha um they have some projects that they target disparities we have a congresswoman 
so many individuals, uh, March of Dimes, that's participating in this book project. And the reason that I started it is because when I when I was released, they gave me a book with a white mother's hands on it and her white baby's feet. And I started reading the stories and I said that this does not relate to me. And I could not find anything that, that did. So I wanted to put experts and mothers together um, and even to talk about the the maternal health portion, some of the mothers that we have lost, you know, I'm reaching out to their partners too, so that their stories can be included. Yeah. So Say, where do you, you know, I, you're doing such incredible things and um, two questions. When was the um, foundation started? When did you finally start like zeal of Xander? Mm-hmm. And then um, like, the road is not always easy. The road isn't easy to start this, especially out of so much pain. And then, you know, just where do you get that to just keep pushing? I know they want their logo bigger and whether this happens with them or whatever, I'm still going to push. I got to find these women to do this Mm -hmm. book. I have to do this. What is that thing that just, that keep, I think I know, but I think it's important because a lot of us have things in our lives where we're like, oh, I want to do this in memory of this or because of this, but it takes so much, so much to do it. So Xander's birth and death was April the 25th, 2018. His um, Zill of Xander nonprofit was official July 25th, 2018. So 90 days out the gate. Um, So our task for our son and and the plan that we had, you know, for him was to ensure that he was a a respectable man. Um, Our job was to raise a man, a man that will protect his wife and that will provide for his family, Um, a man of integrity. So that, that is what we, were uh, purpose to, but we did not get an opportunity to do that on this side of the earth. But our roles as parents did not change because we were still his parent. So my job in Xander's life was to make sure he was a purposeful man. My job in Xander's death is to ensure that he was as purposeful in his death as he would have been in his life. And so what we have to do is I, I do this thing. I'm a, I am coach women in business too. And the one thing I tell them, I have um, this, this philosophy about moving scared. The best moves are scared ones. I did not know what this was going to look like. I did not know who I was going to be. I don't even remember who I was before him. And sometimes that's a blessing and a curse. But I re- remember my mother standing out at that funeral home and she took her hands and she just smushed my face like this. And I remember I was holding my, I had my Prada glasses in one hand. I had a napkin in another hand. I was just completely, totally broken. And she looked at me and she said, the hardest thing for a mother is to look at their children and know that there is nothing that they can do to help. She said, I can't help you through this. I cannot help you through this. She said, but what I know for a fact is that I have seen you down before. I have seen you go through a lot before. 
And what I know is that you are good for a comeback. And I cannot wait to see who you are after this, right? And so, so she gave me the will to recognize that there was an after this. Right. Because I didn't know that there was. Yeah, it's almost like she gave you permission. Yeah. You she know, me, she did. She gave me that stamp of approval that says that this is an after this. She was, and I, I remember I hugged my dad and I just well, I said, Daddy, please. I said, just take care of my baby and get him home. And then my mother, uh, my dad says, I'm not the smartest man. I'm not the smartest parent. I didn't make a lot of smart decisions as a parent. But if you need me, I'm always there. And my mother said, God trusted me to carry you. And I need for you to trust me to carry him. And I was like, okay. Um, and she did just that. They made sure that, and sometimes we have a problem with the release, right? Um, and for me, it was the release of the expectations that I had for my son. I had a, I had an expectation of kindergarten. I had an expectation of the only book that I was able to read to him was The Giving Tree, right? And for and and, and so much of me was that tree. If I could have given him the leaves that I had, I would have. If I would have, if I could have given him the branches that I have, I would have. If I could have given him my trunk, I would have done that. And so that's what you do as a mother, whether or not your children make it or not. And we have to stop persecuting women that don't bring their children home. Like you're a mom, you're still a mom. You still make mother decisions. You still love your children. You still want them to be successful. You still want them to be purposeful and you, you don't want them to be forgotten. And that is, um, that that is the constant struggle that most women have um because people forget about their kids i get i get so many things in the mail that has a b on it because that's xander's logo people refer to xander as xander people love my son like i love him and um and i give them permission to do that and so one of the things that i want to give black women is permission to live in your hurt because grief is just love with no place to go. That's so good. That's it. Yes. Like we have, we don't have the baby to kiss, right? I remember coming home and I have, I have two, I had two Shih Tzus at the time. One of them was 10, one of them was like nine. And when I came home, I noticed um, that one of them had a Ooh. growth in their throat. And I was like, what is happening? So I went to the doctor and Bailey, my oldest Shih Tzu, was diagnosed with cancer. So from April to July, I had with him. And I had him for 10 years. And I remember when I said, Bailey, I said, your mother cannot. Okay, we just lost Xander. I cannot do it. I cannot. Please just hold on as long as you can. And when you're ready, just let me know. And the one morning I woke up and he just was like, 
and I took him to the vet and I, I remember them asking, how can we help you? And I just bawled, like everything came back. Like I'm losing my dog, I lost my son. And so they moved me into a room and they said, well, what we'll do is we'll sedate him. This is the most uncomfortable that he'll be. And I held him and um, the vet came back in and he said, I don't think we're going to have to put him down because he already passed away. And so Bailey, he passed away in my lap. And I remember just crying and I looked at my vet and I said, today, today Xander has a puppy, right? And so my vet cried and every, the vet tech cried and we all just wept. And I remember leaving that place screaming. And I was like, everything I love is in a box. Why? Why? What is happening to my life? Why is it that things are in the box? And then I had to recognize that when you get gifts, they are normally in a box, right? And so I just had to, to deal with the with the life and the boxes that I had. So I was gonna determine whether or not I'm gonna accept this box as a gift because nobody could have grown me like Xander did. Um, nobody could have taught me how Bailey and Madison, even though they're, you know, they're my pets that I've had for 10 years, they made me get out of bed every day to walk something. So they gave me a task every single day mm -hmm. and I had to take care of them. Um, but you know we're given boxes in life and so sometimes the content is full of tears but with those tears come growth and both of those situations grew me i didn't have an opportunity to, to prepare for xander's death it just it happened um bailey i had two three months and so we balled out on Krispy Kreme <laughs> we ate Chick-fil-a and ice cream and all the things that we should not have done and so in those lessons God gave God showed me the beauty in death in both aspects one mm -hmm. you prepare for one you can't right say um I just I, I want to ask a little bit about Dan because mm. he's I think so often we think about the mom and we should, but mm -hmm. Dan um, lost a son too. Yeah. And so um, how, how did you, I guess, did he get the same resources that you got? No. Um, you know, the one thing that we really definitely want to, to do in, in the community of, you know, Zill of Xander is we want to touch the mother, the family, the children, and the dads, right? So, you know, we're doing, we're working on a children's book because some kids, they, they have an expectation of their brother or sister coming home and then there's no explanation. So we're working on, on that for, you know, therapists and grief uh, purposes. But for the dads, we have a, we do not treat, treat dads well in the grief space when it comes to children um dan was definitely forgotten um and he forgot his own grief because he was so busy trying to make sure i was okay and um when he came and and you know he was able to hold xander and and love on him and you know I, <clears throat> he was leaving in a couple of days and I remember him looking at Xander's pictures and he just had like this smirk. And I was like, what are you smirking about? And he said, he said, it's interesting to me. He said, I never knew what our love looked like until I saw him. And he said, this is what it looks like. 
And I was like, yeah, you know, that, that is. And I would ask him, are you okay? And he says, I'm not, I'm not. And, you know, there were a lot of tears. Like he was broken. Like he, he turned into a man that I could not identify. He was so strong and then he became so weak. Um, And for so many reasons, you know, one, you know, he was dealing with, you know, the death of his mother. Um, Two, he had an expectation to have his son. Three, he was in one state. I was in another. Um, Four, he was, he was forgotten. He, there, there were no resources for him. Um, I couldn't, he, he wasn't used to, he, he's used to me being a fixer and I couldn't, I couldn't fix this for us. Um, he had a lot of resentment towards himself. Um, I think that he had a lot of resentment toward the, um, healthcare system. Um, and Dan is the biggest advocate for men, you know, even, um, today when there are, you know, men, Dan was the guy that goes into my doctor's appointments and say, she hasn't really been using the bathroom that often. Like, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, wait, that's my business then. Right. Right. Like, so he's definitely a big advocate. We don't treat men good in this space. Um, and so we want to provide men with a safe, uh, a safe space. We have a, a unrealistic expectation for them to be able to, to carry this weight and they cannot do it. That's so good. And so as, as part of the foundation, you guys are kind of creating that safe space for yeah. fathers. Yeah. I- we we have this thing where we call chasing honey. That's what Xander's ch- uh, children's book is going to be. And so when people ask us, well, what is chasing honey? Chasing honey means finding the sweetness in bitter situations. Mm-hmm. That That's just what it is. And so our chasing honey um, for this organization is to put dads in a position where they can talk about um, their hurt um, and not be judged about it. Um, mm-hmm. to, to be candid, you know, Dan and I have... Uh, when people ask for a communicator, they don't know what it looks like until they have a dad. Dan is a communicator. Um, Dan is a, a a prayer. Dan is a faster. Like I think that he probably after Xander passed, he probably fasted like twenty one days or something like that, um, because he knew that there had to be something bigger than what we could see on the other mm-hmm. side. All we saw was the tip of the iceberg. He wanted to, he wanted God to reveal to him what was underneath the surface. What's going on? Yeah. What's going on underneath there? And what we saw is black women are dying. Black babies are dying. Black men are forgotten. And um, black men are being put in a position to have to memorialize their, their wives and their partners. Um, and having to raise children by themselves with no support system. Right. Right. That's huge. And so going into that, um, what is some legislation that you guys are trying to put in place right now to, to help, to, to help that, that rate and to make sure that black mothers and and children are cared for. So, you know, we are really big advocates for um, Medicaid expansion Okay. Um, really big advocates for that. Specifically, what happens is I was just um on a, a a conference here in North Carolina, and what what this looks like is there is a um a, a woman that is in North Carolina. Um, years ago, she was on uh, Medicaid, and so when she 
was going in for her. She was pregnant, of course, and going in for her annual. They found cancerous cells, cervical cancer, most preventable. Okay. So they found cervical cancer and they told her, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it after the birth of the baby. Well, what happened was they, she went in for like, I think maybe she was about eight, eight months, went in for a routine check. The baby's heart rate was decreasing. They said, we're going to send you to the hospital because we want to go ahead and induce you. They let her sit for maybe about two, 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 two and a half, three hours. The baby's heart rate went to zero and the baby died while she was waiting on her emergency C-section. So when you're, when you're on Medicaid and your child dies, so does your services, right? So after her child died, they found that she was in stage four cervical cancer. But your coverage ended when your child's life did. So she had no coverage. So there has to be a lot of implementation. Like there, we need to have access to care. We need to be heard. Um, we need transportation to doctor's appointments. We need other things like doulas and midwives in our communities. You know, other things that we're trying to change. You know, if you have a miscarriage, you don't get bereavement. You don't get certain, you know, sick leave and time like that off. So, you know, those are things that we're advocating for as well. And one, the, the, I think the most passionate thing that we're going to be starting um, next year specifically with this book, you know, we want people um, that are birth workers and going into the birthing space to be required to read this, um, this book, because people need to know what the worst of a, a grieving mother, you know, what, what that, what that sounds like. Um, but nobody should ever have to walk out of the hospital without their children. So why are you keeping them? So there has to be something that has changed um, in the hospitals, in legislation to allow women, even if you cannot, um, afford to have someone to come and pick up your baby, there has to be a other means. There has to be other resources. So we definitely want that for um for other for mothers that can't afford the four and five and six hundred dollars. Um, you know, one of the people that we have in the in the book project is a funeral direct director. Um, they have a a funeral home in Louisiana, and um, we just want to connect with so many different funeral homes so that we can work on them doing the service at cost. Almost having like a network of, of yes. funeral homes and things like that all across the, uh, wow, yep. that's, that's incredible. And you're right. No mother should have to leave with, without her baby because yeah. of $400. Because of, like, like you, you leave a phone, like you leave a charger, you, you may leave some shoes or a shirt, but you don't leave, a, you don't leave your children. Right. Right. Well, we have to get in a space where we recognize that animals have better, uh, better outcomes than black children. There are more laws protecting animals that they, than they are protecting black kids. Black children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is terrible. 
it's not surprising, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but it is absolutely terrible. So Zay, I thank you so much for coming. One of the things that I ask every person, I would have asked you at the beginning, but we kind of just started talking and I loved it, is I ask everybody um, that comes on as a house guest, what are you grateful for? So I'm going to ask you that even after you've had to go over all of these things, but asking you, what are you grateful for? There is a, um, a, a, a plaque that I have in my, um, in my office that's on the wall and it, it sits, there are two and it sits right above a, like a crystal mm-hmm. image that I have of Xander etched in it. And one plaque says live, and then the other on top of it says learn constantly. And so what I'm grateful for is that God has allowed for me to to survive and live through experiences. Um, and through living, I have learned constantly, um, which has made me an expert in this life that I was assigned. So I'm grateful that I made it. And I'm grateful that I learned from it. And I'm grateful that I grew through it. I love that. I love that. And I always ask this question too, is that, you know, paint the picture. You've been able to change legislation. Women now have that bereavement leave for miscarriages. No woman is leaving her baby at the hospital. She's having the access to care. You have done all the things that you set out to do. Dads now have a support system. We have funerals uh, around the globe, uh, funeral homes around the globe that are just helping Black women um, bury their babies with just dignity and not having to worry about a $400 fee. Um, And all this is happening. Your book is out. People are reading your book. I mean, you've made the change and that um, you have carried on Xander's name where people know who Xander is Mm -hmm. and know the purpose for um, his birth and his death. And he is making an impact further than you could ever imagine. What is the one thing that you're most proud of? The one thing that I'm most proud of is passing the baton to people that um this is a race that's a it's a race and so um it doesn't work without partnership and all the people that i have engaged and all the advocates that we have that we will train is being able to pass the baton and know that the next leg of this is well taken care of I love that. I love that. So Zay, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story and all that you're doing, but we don't want you to leave without telling us one, how can we stay in touch with you? How can people partner with you that are hearing your story that say, I want to be a part. Um, So let us know how we can uh, stay connected. Listen, I am, you know, super, first of all, I'm super excited to have received your invitation. Um, I am just thankful that people have heard about, you know, Xander's story and um, the legacy that, you know, we are building for him. I am always available. I'm always accessible. There is rarely a time that I will say no. Okay. (laughs) Um, 
And so you can certainly always contact me. You can contact me through Xander's website, which is zillofxander.org. You can also email me at zay at zillofxander.org. Um, I am definitely always around. I'm always flying from one place to the next. So if you're in Chicago, link up with me. I will be in Chicago in um, September, September the 18th. And then I will be in LA October the 10th. So if you need me, I'll be in one of those two states. <laughs> Absolutely. And then Zay, are you on any social media networks? Um, So Xander has a, um, a Facebook page, Zilla Xander. Um, so I am definitely on, um, Facebook. I am Zay Bell on, is my, um, Facebook handle. And you can also find me on Instagram under that as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Zay, for being just an incredible, incredible house guest. And, um, I can't wait to have you back in the future to hear those legislative, uh, decisions that have been made in favor to all that you are doing. So thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'll leave you with this. Don't let fear cause you not to take flight. Zay Bell. As always, we end every show with this declaration. Waking up is automatic. Showing up is intentional. Today, I will show up. Thanks again for spending time with me today and listening to the Wake Up and Show Up podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe so you never miss a show. Leave a five-star review and share with a friend or foe. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I am Portia Scott. Until next time, go impact the world.